I was going to speak this morning about something different from, from um, I was planning last week to speak on something else this morning. But last Sunday, if you were here, you'll know that God was really moving among us. Uh, he always is. Um, but uh, I just felt like, like it was the right thing to try if, if we could to follow on, uh, to follow his lead from what he was doing last week. And so this morning I'm going to speak about prayer. And if, if you were here last week, um, Mike shared a little bit of the story of the revival that happened in the Outer Hebrides and how that was something that was birthed in prayer. So he talks about how there was this church with hardly anybody in it. And they were, they were just leaving um, a church service when this guy fell to his knees and just called out to God, you dare not leave us like this. God, you dare not fail us. You dare not fail us. And how there were these two elderly ladies, one whom was, uh, was blind, the other was, was crippled by arthritis, but they just prayed. They loved God, they loved their island, and they prayed and he moved. And... Um, I don't know about how you felt after last week, but for me, it really stirred me up. And um, this last week, I've gone back to the scripture and just looked again at Jesus's prayer life. And, and just I've been amazed again at just how many times he sneaks off from the crowd to be by himself with the Father. Uh, and the value, that, 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 that the importance that he places on prayer. There's one time when he's talking to Peter and he says to him, hey, um, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but don't worry. And then he goes on to say, because I've prayed for you. He doesn't say, don't worry, here's five tips on how to avoid Satan's sifting. He says, don't worry, because I've prayed for you. Uh, his, his final uh, night with his disciples, he, he eats a meal with them. And he teaches them, but also he spends a whole chunk of that final evening praying for them, praying for the church. He faces the greatest crisis of his life, the cross, and the way that he faces it, he faces it with prayer. He goes to Gethsemane, he's on his knees, he's praying to the Father. And finally, when he dies, he dies praying. So, so I see that and I, and I think, gosh, if for you, Lord, this was so key, what have I missed about it? And then I've been reading stories about things that God does in response to prayer. And again, some of these have got me. So um, I don't know if you've ever had a situation or we just think this is helpless or a person who you feel like there's no way, you know, I can't see a positive outcome here or I can't see this person come to faith. But I've been reading stories about, um, for example, one of my favorite uh, books that I've ever read is about a guy called Hudson Taylor who became um, a missionary to China in the 1800s. And the story of him becoming a Christian, it was when he was 17, and his mum, they lived in Barnsley, his mum went to visit her sister about 50 miles away. And one afternoon while she's at her sister's house, she decides, she's got a few hours, she decides she's going to pray for him to come to the Lord. So she goes into a room, locks the door, and starts to pray. Meanwhile, Hudson is back at his house, and he's walking through the front room, and he sees this booklet that is um, about the good news of Jesus. And he decides he's just going to pick it up and read it. So he picks it up, starts to read it. And even though he's, he's heard the good news of Jesus many times, this time when he reads it, it's like someone has switched the light on. And what he's reading just, just leaps into his heart. And he ends up getting down on his knees, repenting of his sins and giving himself to the Lord. Meanwhile, back at the sister's house, his mum has uh, at that moment just this deep conviction from the Holy Spirit that what she's praying for has happened. And so she starts rejoicing before God. Anyway, she stays at her sister's house for another two weeks. 
And then she travels back home. And as she's uh, approaching the house, Hudson comes out the house to meet her. And he says, Mom, I've got some really good news for you. And she says, you don't need to tell me. I've been rejoicing over it for the last fortnight. And it was the exact time he'd given his life to the Lord. Uh, I remember hearing the story about this, uh, this guy, Mike mentioned D.L. Moody, last week. And uh, he was based in Chicago. He had a church there. And it was about this guy who was um, kind of really far from knowing God, but like actively anti-Christianity. And he would try and disrupt these meetings. One of the things that he would do is he would stand outside the church doors and he would hand out mugs of beer to try and get people, you know, to drink before they went into church. Some of us might like somebody disrupting our services by handing us beer outside. But that's what he would try and do. And he would sometimes come into meetings and he would point at people and laugh at people and, and just take the mick, really. Anyway, um, he was originally from Scotland, though he was in Chicago. One night, he went to bed, no closer to God than he'd ever been. And his mum, back in Scotland, was praying for him. And he woke up in the middle of the night with this Bible verse running through his head that he'd learned when he was a child from Romans chapter 4, about how those who believe in God get saved. And right there and then, he was convicted of his stuff, and he gave his life to Jesus. He ends up becoming an active part of this church overnight, ends up eventually, towards the end of his life, becoming an elder. But he traveled back sometime after his conversion, back to see his mum in Scotland, and there was a brother, another brother, uh, who wasn't saved. And this brother was an agnostic. He was working in business in Glasgow. And so the son who'd been saved and the mum, they knelt and they prayed for this one that hadn't come to know the Lord yet. And after a little while, this guy ends up giving his life to Jesus. But there's another brother. There's a third one. And this one, um, they didn't know where he was. So he'd got on a boat and he'd, he'd sailed off and they, you know, they'd lost contact with him. But they decided as a family that they were going to pray for him. And so they, they got together and they prayed that the Lord would meet him wherever he was. Unbeknownst to them, he was on the deck of a ship just near India. And as they're praying for him, the Holy Spirit fell on him on the deck of that ship, and he fell down on his knees, and he gave his life to Jesus. And uh, I remember just reading this, and the person writing it just said, do you have loved ones who don't know Jesus? Do you have people where you're not sure how to reach them? And then he went on to say, the way to reach them is by the throne of God. Because where we don't know what's going on in their hearts, God knows every single person's heart. Where we might not even know where they are through prayer, God reaches out to the uttermost ends of the earth to draw people to himself. And so I, I, I've been reading stuff like that, and it has, it stirred me up. But one of the mistakes I feel like I often make with this stuff is I think, okay, right, here's what I'm going to do now then. And I'll look at myself in the mirror and I'll say, Andy, you just need to try harder. This is why you don't see these things in your prayer. You just need to grit your teeth, knuckle down, be a proper Christian, and learn to pray. And um, do you know how far that kind of stuff gets me? That gets me about as far as my New Year's resolutions get me, which is to about the 2nd of January. In other words, not very far at all. And in growing in this, I, I don't think that is the place to begin. Um, I think a better place to begin can be found in Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, and Paul says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, I had thought the journey was from from, uh, weakness to strength, and from beginner to expert. But Paul, if if we want to talk about experts, he's about as expert as you can get. He's the Apostle Paul. He's had a revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He has planted churches everywhere. He has written a whole chunk of the Bible, you know. But he says, he doesn't say, you don't know what to pray for. He says, we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And he talks about weakness in prayer. I don't know if you've ever had it where you you, uh, don't have any real desire to pray. And it feels like a bit of a duty. Or um, when you pray, it feels like God is a million miles away. Or when you pray, it feels like nothing, nothing happens. Or when we pray, it's like we don't have a real assurance that he's listening, that he's, that he's hearing us. Have you ever had it where you pray and your mind just starts to wander? Do you have that? And you start thinking about all this random stuff that you probably wouldn't be thinking about unless you were praying. All of that is what Paul's talking about when he's talking about weakness in prayer. And what the hope is, is recognizing we are weak in this. And if the Apostle Paul still feels weak, we're probably never not going to feel weak when it comes to prayer. But the hope is that we have a helper. And the helper isn't just anybody, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one given to us. And there we think, well, if that's the case, then something can happen in and through my prayers. In the same way if that Jamie Oliver came to help you cook, it doesn't matter how bad a cook you are, the meal's probably going to taste pretty good. If Bear Grylls sends us off into the wilderness to survive, but says, but don't worry, I'm coming with you, and I'm going to help you find the right monkeys to, I don't know, get their water and eat their bananas or something. Like, I, I, it, that, I'll help you. Then we think, okay, well, he's going to help me. We're going to make it. What the Lord says is, I'm going to help you. So, so the starting place for us looking out this week is not, um, it's not about, gosh, now I've got to really try hard. What it is, is I've got to recognize I can't do this in my own strength, but I don't need to because I have a helper. And going on from there, what I start to think is, well, that's great, but what is this actually meant to look like? And, and again, when it comes to imagining prayer, I think I can anyway overcomplicate it in my head. I, I hear all these talks about it. I read all these books about it. And, and it just it, it ends up being like, well, what's, I just don't know how to, it feels unattainable. Um, for, for others of us, we end up discouraged because we've prayed for stuff and it hasn't happened. And we think, well, what am I meant to do with that? Um, for some of us, I don't know if you ever talked to someone who's like a real prayer warrior, you know, like one of these intercessor types. But when I talk to people like that, sometimes I come away more discouraged than encouraged because I think, well, what you're doing, I I could never do that. This is like someone who can't run 5K, having a conversation with someone who's running Ironman. Um, You know, just how am I ever going to make it to that? How am I ever going to do it? And then for others of us, we just feel like no one's ever taught me to do this. So I just don't know what it's meant to look like. And one of the things that I find really reassuring when I come to the scriptures, we don't just have a helper, we have a teacher. And Jesus, Jesus is the one who shows us. So, really simple, few questions. First one is this. What is prayer? What, what would a definition of prayer be? 
And for me, when I, when I think about an answer to this question, um, what comes into my mind is when my parents used to drop me off at uh, children's groups, at Christian camps, that I didn't want to go to. And part of the reason I didn't want to go to them is because I was five going on 50. And I felt really patronized, and I was like, you're going to make me sing these silly songs, these irritating songs. And they were irritating songs. Um, but one of them has stayed in my brain as much as I've tried to get it out. And I think it's a pretty good definition of prayer. The song goes, and those of you who've grown up in the church might recognize it, prayer is like a telephone for us to talk to Jesus. And then it goes on. Prayer is like a telephone for us to talk to God. And I'm now going to sing the song in its entirety to you. No, I'm not. Um, but actually, do you know what? Read all the theologians you want. That's a pretty good definition in my book of what prayer is. It's like a phone. It's a way of communicating to him. It's a way of hearing him and talking to him. Where it falls down is it's more than just words. And it, it, it's about communion. It's about being in his presence. Sometimes if you sit with someone you love, you don't need to say very much. But prayer's that. It's at its simplest. It's about relationship. It's about communication. So if that's what it is, when should I pray? And one of the great things about prayer is that we can do it whenever and wherever we want. And we can pray spontaneously all the time, left, right, and center. At the same time, one of the things that I've been recognizing is that having a plan when it comes to prayer really helps. It, it really makes a difference. And having a plan is not the opposite of this being about relationship. Because any relationship that has um, a depth to it involves some decisions. It involves some choices. Like if we have a friend and we say, oh, this, um, we've got such a great friendship but we never invest in that friendship. We never take any time to be with that person. Well, it's not going to be a great friendship for very long. And in the same way, if someone, anyone who's been married more than two or three weeks knows that that relationship requires work. It requires, you know what? Life is busy. And so we need to plan in. We haven't spent much time together recently, so we need to make sure we've got a date night in or we need to plan that, some time for us to connect together in this way. And, and that's the same thing with prayer. What I find is that when I say in my life, it's going to happen, I'll just pray whenever I want spontaneously, life for me often gets in the way. And so I've realized I want to do that, but also I, if I love you, I want to plan in time to be with you, the one that I love. And you are the best person for planning that in your own life. But one of the things that can be helpful is to just recognize what season of life am I in right now? What would work for me at the moment? Um, I remember when Mike used to be an accountant, uh, which I still don't know how he managed that one, but he was an accountant at Harvey Nichols. And what he used to do is he used to take his lunch break. So he'd have half an hour or so, um, and he would go to the church that was near where he worked, and he would just sit there with his Bible, and he would pray. That's how he would do it. Uh, if you're in a phase where you have got little children, then it's probably the hardest, I, would, I think anyway, phase of life to really make space for prayer. Uh, you are sleep deprived. And sleep deprivation, as someone reminded me recently, is a form of torture that they use to crack hardened terrorists. And so if you're finding it difficult, that's normal. Um, and then to, to try and pray can be a challenge. And I remember hearing um, a talk by... Tope and Kemi Colioso, who lead Jubilee Church in London. And Kemi was just saying that season where she had little kids was the hardest. 
And in the end, what she decided to do was when, when she put the kids in the car, the way she would do it is she worshipped with the kids on the way to school. She'd drop them off and then she'd worship by herself on the way home. And that was for her, her moment. That was when she did it. So what might that look like for us? Um, for some of us, it might be when we wake up in the morning, 15, 20 minutes, just to, just to sit with him. And that can feel like a sacrifice. But actually, those 15, 20 minutes, if we do that for a while, we'll notice begin to affect the whole rest of the day in a really positive way. It might be before we go to sleep at night. It might be, I, Toppy and Kemi, again, they said as a couple, one of the ways that they pray is when they leave the house together, they, um, you know, they don't always leave the house together, but when they do, just before they go out the front door, they hold hands for a moment and they just say a brief prayer. It, it, it's a habit that they have, a way of connecting with him. So have some kind of plan. And then thirdly, what should I pray about? So let's say I've got that in place. I've got some kind of a plan. I'll make some space to be with Jesus. But what should I pray about when I pray? And uh, this is where I don't think there's a better place to come than Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, the disciples were Jewish, so they'd grown up being taught to pray. Everyone was taught certain prayers. But when they saw Jesus praying, what they, what they were saying there was, I want to pray like that. You know, I, I want to pray in that way. And I don't know if you've ever been in prayer meetings and stuff where you thought, oh gosh, the last thing I want to do is spend more time praying in this way. This just feels dead. I know the Lord is hearing it, but it's, there's nothing about it that attracts me. And then you can meet other people who pray in particular ways and you think, I want to pray like you. Not that necessarily it's full of volume, although that's great, but that it's, it's like you're talking to your friend. It's like you come to him with confidence. It's like you come with expectation. They're seeing that in Jesus. They, I want to pray like you pray. Teach me to pray like you do. And I'm so struck by the fact that they say, teach us to pray. If I was hanging around with Jesus, I would have said, Lord, teach me to do a miracle. Teach me to walk on water. You know, teach me to feed thousands of people with a picnic. Teach me some of those skills. But what they say is they say, teach me to pray. And the reason I think they say that is because they've made the connection between his prayer life and the power that he was moving in. And they understand that everything he was doing, it was flowing from a place of intimacy and connection with his father. So they say, teach me to pray. And then Jesus gives us this prayer, which is a model for us of what prayer can look like. And here's the first thing it starts with, adoration, father, Abba is the word, daddy. That's where all prayer begins. And just in, in those words, our father, that's the whole gospel summarized. Because Jesus came to make his father our father. We get to say, hey dad, because he first says, hey son, hey daughter, you are mine. So what we can do when we pray is we can begin with worship. We can speak out truths about God. We can speak out promises of God. We can, we can declare who he is, come to him, and express our love for him. That's, that's where it begins. And then it goes on to intercession, your kingdom come, praying for God's will to be done. 
And this is that um, part of prayer where it's standing in the gap, where we see a situation or we see a person. It might be someone in our family. It might be the school that we work in. It might be the office or the street that we're a part of. But we see that and we see it's not God's will. And so what we do is we pray his will be done in that situation. And one of the things that Jesus teaches elsewhere when he's talking about prayer is he says, keep doing it. Don't give up. And the reason he has to say that is because sometimes it's really tempting to quit on praying for something, especially if we're not seeing the kind of results that we were hoping or expecting to see. I don't know if you've ever tried dieting, but with a diet, you get a bit of momentum when you see that the diet is working. You know, when you say, oh, I've lost two pounds this week. Brilliant. This, all this pain is, you know, is paying off. But if you do a diet for three weeks in a row and you've lost no weight, it's very disheartening. And what almost every one of us does is say, well, I'm not doing that anymore because it clearly doesn't work. And we will all have things that we're praying for, whether it's people or a situation, where as we pray, we don't see the results that we want. And sometimes what can happen is even as we pray for a person, it feels like they're getting further away. I've been praying for you for years and you're less close to Jesus than you were when I started. And the temptation on that can be, well, I, it doesn't work. It We lose heart with it. And, and I read this story just this week about this guy, R.A. Torrey, and he was saying that he prayed for his brother, his older brother, to become a Christian every day for 15 years. And it felt that thing of he's getting further from Jesus, not closer. And then he said one day he was in his study and he was praying for him and he just felt like the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and I'm going to answer it. Well, within a short period of time, his brother fell ill and his brother came to live with him while he was recovering. And but before he left the house, within a few weeks, his brother had come to faith, having been prayed for for 15 years. R.A. Torrey was a preacher and so he got up in his church and he shared this story. And he said, my brother's come to faith. I've been praying for ages. Let's not give up. Let's not give up. Let's not give up. And an elderly lady came up to him after the service and she said, I'm 63 years old and I've been praying for my brother for most of my life. And a few weeks ago, I decided to stop because he wasn't, he wasn't anywhere. And she said, having heard what you've just said, I'm going to start praying again. So she went off and prayed. Two weeks later, she came back and she said, he's given his life to Jesus. And Jesus tells us these stories to say, don't quit, don't stop, your kingdom come. Adoration, intercession, petition, give us today our daily bread. And um, one of the things that I love about the Lord's Prayer is it does start our Father. It doesn't start our friend or our Lord or our judge, although he's all of those things. It starts with our dad. And, and th th there's an element when it comes to petition, asking for what we need, of, of coming back again and again and again. And that's where this picture of, of father and children is so appropriate because nobody, and I speak with some authority on this subject, nobody can relentlessly bug you like a child. And uh, this happened to me even last night. I was... Um, I had put the kids to bed about 7, sort of 7.30, 7.45, and that was, I was done, right? That's, that's, I'm clocked off then. You cannot bug me anymore, right? This has happened now. You've taken everything I have. Um, go to sleep. I will see you in the morning where I have some more energy. And I went downstairs for my time, for, for me time. And they'd had like an early dinner, 
Um, and so I was really hungry and I just got some stuff out of the freezer and chuck it, chucked it in the oven, cooked it up. And then I'm sitting about 8.15 to sort of sit there and eat my meal. And I hear this pitter-patter of footsteps on the stairs. And I would love to tell you, as a father, my heart leapt and I thought, my children, they're coming to see me. But to be really honest, I was like, really? Oh, no. And um, Judah, who is six, came into the room. And I said, hello, Judah. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, what are you doing? You should be in bed. And he, and he said to me, yeah, I couldn't sleep. And then he said, are you eating something? And I said, yes. I'd literally just put it on the plate. I just sat down like two minutes ago. I was like, yes, I'm eating something. He said, what are you eating? And I said, chips and chicken goujons, these th breaded chicken stuff. And he said, can I have some? And I said, no. You already had your tea earlier. This is my tea. I was really hungry. And he said, please. And I said, all right. And he said, can I have one of those chicken goujons? And he pointed at it. And I said, no, you can have a chip, right? And I gave him a chip. And he said, and he just take this, took this chip. And he ate it. And he just looked at me. And I said, all right. You can have one bite of one of my chicken goujons. So I give it to him. And he takes it. And he takes the biggest bite his little mouth can handle. Like, the whole thing. He puts as much of it in again. And he manages to eat a whole half of one of these in a single bite. And then he gives it back to me while he's uh, chewing on this mouth, giant mouth of chicken. And he just carried on staring at me. And I said, all right, then, fine. Just take the rest of it. So I gave him the rest of it. And then, and then I said, now go to bed. And just before he went to bed, he came back and he dipped his finger in my ketchup and put it in his mouth so it could mix with the chicken that was already being chewed in there. And he walked off. And uh, let me tell you, no one can relentlessly bug you like a child. Hey, Dad, the heating bill is really high this month. I need some help. Hey, Dad, I am knackered and I'm stressed again. I need your peace. Hey, Dad, I, I lost my joy a while back and I don't know how to get it back. I need your provision. I need the joy of your spirit. I need you. I need you. I need you. That's what it is to pray. Petition. Confession. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. This is one we love to skip, but it's not. It's, it's a great one to pray. Um, I watched this program just last week about these people that love to, they love to hoard stuff. They hoard loads of stuff in their houses. And so they have to get these experts in to get all this stuff out. It's amazing. If you just hoard all this stuff in, how it restricts your ability to live in the place. Now, what it is to pray is it's to get that stuff out of our souls. It's all this stuff I shouldn't have done, Lord. I bring it to you. I confess it to you. I know you forgive me for it. All these slights, all these hurts that others have, have done to me, you want to keep it. You want to hold on to it. But it just is a bitterness that begins to build up in our lives. It's a way of cleansing our souls. God, forgive me. I forgive those who've sinned against me. And then finally, protection. Help me, deliver me from, from temptation. Our hope in resisting temptation is not that we are somehow mature, strong Christians who won't give in. Our hope is that he helps us. Our hope in defeating the enemy is that we have a deliverer who can defeat him. Pray for protection. And I finish with this. Sometimes when we come and we pray, we can feel not worthy of an answer to our prayers. Often we can feel like that if it's been a bad week. Um, and whenever I feel like that, I remember a time 
when I was about to take Beth, uh, well, it was my best wedding anniversary, and I actually wasn't going to take her anywhere. Um, and then Mike, I mentioned that to Mike, and he said, mate, you can't do that. You have to take her out. And he said, take her to this restaurant, the Sahara Lounge in Stanmore. Um, tell them I sent you. And so uh, I took Beth to this restaurant, the Sahara Lounge. We walk up, um, up the stairs into the restaurant, and the head waiter's there, and she said, oh, hello. And I just say, oh, Mike, um, Mike sent me. And he said, Michael, my friend Michael sent you. And he says, he's one of our regulars. Um, come on in, right? They gave me a really good table. They brought out all these complimentary drinks. They, they gave us so, they lavished so much attention on us all the way through the meal. And uh, it was amazing. And I remember, actually, just before we were about to leave, I just, you know, we're making, uh, having a conversation with George, the waiter, and I just said, so how long has this um, restaurant been open for? And he said, six weeks. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Mike is the only person I've ever met who can be a regular at a restaurant that has only been open for six weeks. Half of that time, we were at the summer festivals. So I don't know how many times he'd crammed in a couple of visits. But, but uh, I remember, like, George doesn't know me from, from it, you know. But so, so I don't deserve his special table. I don't deserve the complimentary drinks. But the name of Michael gets me access to a lot of places. In the same way, we can think, Lord, I don't, I don't deserve an answer to, to this prayer. And we don't. We don't. But that's not the point. Isn't that, that, that's not the gospel. The gospel is we come in his name, in the name of Jesus. And, and Jesus deserves the very best from the Father. Jesus deserves the absolute best. And we pray in his name. And the more we do this as, as individuals, the more we do this as a church, the more we get strengthened in our faith, and the more we partner with him and we see him move in the world around us. When it comes to prayer, we have a helper and we have a teacher. And so it is doable.